Thanks for joining as we continue our journey through Romans. Uh, The subject, again, is the gospel of God. That is to make sinners sons of God to constitute the body of Christ, which is expressed as a local churches. And it's a sketch of the Christian life. Remember the four words we had at the very beginning? Sinners, sons, members, and churches. So uh, the main sections uh, after the introduction are condemnation, justification, sanctification, glorification, the parenthetical section, selection, transformation. So uh, today we'd like to focus uh, on transformation, uh, which is um, mainly related to the body life, as we saw yesterday. Remember that transformation does not merely denote a change. It means that a substance is changed both in nature and in form. In English, the words transformed or transformation also mean a change in both nature and form. This type of change is a metabolic change. It's not just an outward change, but a change in inward constitution as well as in external form. This change occurs by the process of metabolism. In the process of metabolism, an organic element filled with vitamins comes into our being and produces a chemical change in our organic life. This chemical reaction changes the constitution of our being from one form to another. This is transformation. In the process of transformation, the life of Christ is added to our being. When his life, which is organic and filled with vitamins, permeates our being, a spiritual chemical compound is formed. This changes our constitution both in nature and in form. If we keep in mind this proper understanding of transformation as we approach Romans 13 through 16, we shall realize that this portion of the word is altogether different from what our natural concept would lead us to believe it is. In these three and a half chapters on transformation, Paul touches on five topics. One, in practicing the body life, which we saw in chapter 12. And then in 13, there's three more. What topics would you speak about if you're going to talk about transformation? Do you want to know what transformation looks like in a mature believer? This chapter talks about transformation and being subject to authorities, number one. Transformation, practicing love, number two, and transformation and waging the warfare, number three. Verse one says, let every person be subject to the authorities over him. The transformation mentioned in 12.2 also governs the Christian life taught in this chapter. Man's natural character is rebellious, but a transformed character is submissive. Subjection to authority requires transformation, which results from the growth in life. After Adam's fall, God authorized man to act as his deputy authority in ruling over man. To be subject to authorities is to recognize God's authority and to respect his government over man. Paul's word here implies that he recognized even those officials appointed by Caesar as rulers ordained by God to be God's deputy authorities. We should all realize that God ordains the authorities over man in order to maintain peace and security in human society so that he may have the time and the opportunity to preach the gospel 
to save sinners and to build the church for the spread of his kingdom. It seems like I'm always working on taxes about the time we read Romans 13. Resisting authority is a sign that we're not that mature in the divine life. Secondly, Paul talks about in practicing love. Love is not merely an outward behavior, but is the expression of the inward life. In order to love people and thus spontaneously fulfill the law, we need the transformation in life and the life supply. We need God's life and God's nature of love to transform us and supply us in life. Lack of love for those around us is another sign that we are lacking in the maturity of the divine life and need transformation. Finally, in this chapter, Paul talks about transformation and waging the warfare. The warfare here is the same as the conflict between the spirit and the lust of the flesh in Galatians. It's not uh, the wrestling against the devil and his evil forces as in Ephesians or the warfare between the law of sin and the law of good, which we saw in Romans 7. Paul ends the chapter with verse 14, but put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh to fulfill its lust. As a young Christian, I remember this verse really striking me because I needed to make provisions, that is to take forethought. To make no provision for the flesh is to not take any forethought for the flesh or provide the flesh with anything that will support it and make it convenient for it to fulfill its lust so that the flesh will not be aroused. Making no provision for the flesh is another sign of a mature believer.